Hello, listeners. Welcome to the Web Chatham Report, episode 55. Fifty-five episodes, that's kind of crazy. I don't know why. Fifty-five. Maybe because it's Sammy Hagar or something like that. I don't know. It just seems like a lot today. How you guys doing? What's going on? Look, it's me being prompt. Doing this at exactly the two-week mark from the last time I did it, like I'm supposed to be doing. Like a, like a real media property. <laughs> I'm so cool. I'm so professional, man. It's all the more impressive since I basically have nothing to report since I had the flu for almost two full weeks, which sucked. <laughs> I actually got out pretty much right after I did this. So we had Thanksgiving on Thursday and Friday was fine. That was lovely. And uh, I went to go see a movie and then Saturday I did the podcast and then Saturday night after dinner evening, like six o'clock, we eat dinner really early. I was sitting upstairs in the, in the playroom with Jane And I just could feel myself getting worse by the minute. And I was like, Emma, I am sick and I am rapidly getting worse. And it was just instant and it was horrible. And it lasted like 10 days, 12 days, something like that. I missed a trip to New York and I was sick through the weekend. I was sick through the whole week. I had a chest cold and a stomach flu at the same time, which is really horrible because as soon as you cough, you want to puke. And I had the chills. I never had a fever, but I felt like I had a fever. I was like under a blanket for like five days straight. It was awful, man. It sucked. And I was worried I was going to miss my second trip to New York, but I got better more or less by the following Monday. So Saturday to Monday, seven, eight, nine, ten days. Yeah, it sucked. It was horrible. And it was a real bummer because I made a ton of turkey. <laughs> I made this giant turkey. And I got a lot of it eaten because I was eating just every meal was Thanksgiving. So Thursday for dinner, which was middle of the day, and then, you know, second dinner to, to uh, quote the Lord of the Rings, Fellowship of the Rings. And then Friday I had three meals of of Thanksgiving and Saturday I had three meals of Thanksgiving. So I was making a good dent. I got one of the whole turkey breasts eaten, but after that I couldn't eat for a week. I just ate crackers and I, so I had to like throw away like a, you know, I waited, I kept it for a week and then I was like, this is too long. This is, I can't keep this meat anymore. And so that's real bummer. And it was like, it was just seemed unappetizing. It was really horrible. I did make 10 quarts of turkey broth and I turned five of it into my first batch of turkey tom yum, which is delicious now that I can actually have it. But I couldn't have that either for like five days. So I just froze it all. That freezes really well though. So that wasn't as big of a deal. Turkey tom yum. It's pretty exciting. It's like one of my favorite things about the holidays is I can have turkey tom yum for like weeks. <laughs> but yeah, the flu was rough. So, you know, I didn't, I mean, I did go to New York since I've last talked to you. And then, uh, you know, I've got a couple things done, but really I just sat around being sick for 10 days. Maybe I'll just stop repeating myself about that. Anyway, uh, yeah, we just went to a neighbor party. <laughs> Uh, that's the way you do it out here in, in, in Chatham County. You have your parties at 10 a.m. So we brought Jane and had a lovely uh, boozy brunch party, holiday party. Uh, one of our next door neighbors, literally right across the street. Well, one house over. Uh, that was fun. Saw a bunch of the neighbors. And uh, this morning when I was at Walmart doing phase one of my grocery shopping, I saw one of our centering group friends, that birthing class that we still stay in touch with. And it was really funny. She had like a, a Santa hat on in the grocery store. And she was buying just like nothing but like ugly holiday sweaters and stuff like that. And it was really funny. But then I noticed as there and then I went to Harris Teeter for shopping part two. I was like, well, actually, a lot of these moms here have Santa hats on. Like people just grocery shop in Santa hats out here. Do they do that in the city? Did I just never notice? I mean, you know, drunk dudes at like 1 a.m. at Brooklyn Bodega. Sure. I mean, they'll shop in a Santa hat. But yeah, moms in the morning shopping in Santa hats. I guess I wouldn't know because the entire time I lived in a city, I probably never went to a grocery store before like two in the afternoon so <laughs> not, maybe it's actually a totally a common thing and i just don't know uh yeah moms and santa hats 
neighbor party was fun. Jane was great. She was super cute. She hugged strangers, which is cool. Like she's never really done that before. Uh, and she was, you know, everybody enjoyed her. I think she was pretty well behaved. She didn't like rip any ornaments off the trees or anything like that. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Chatham County, man, things are happening. Uh, the other sad thing, it's not Chatham County, it's Orange County, the next county over, but there's this amazing retail store called the Southern Season. It's overpriced as all get out, but it has like the greatest stuff from weird sodas to every cookware thing you'd ever want to crazy candies. And I really like it. It's the other anchor store in the mall where one of my movie theaters, the Silver Spot is, and they're closing. They overexpanded and we're going out of business now. And it's hilarious because it's like Christmas time and it's overpriced and they're having, a, they're starting, they're going out of the business sale and they have the big signs in the store, but they're no dummies. Nothing's for sale <laughs> <laughs> they have like the full collection of shun knives which i have these like japanese shun knives and i really like them and then there's a couple of them i would like to like replace or expand the collection i was like oh man if those are like 40 percent off that'd be awesome but nope they're not dumb shun knives they're like these have a high resale value no matter what we'll just sell them on ebay if we have to <laughs> I would love to own a retail store that was going out of business. I'd have so much fun selling all the grab on eBay. Oh my God. It's like reminds me when I tried to buy that golf course that had that country club and I was like, I will sell everything on eBay. It will be amazing. Really wish I bought that golf course. It didn't work out. Anyway, yeah, Jane's good. Yeah, this morning I heated up my, my Tom Yum turkey broth and I walked over the soup to this like mug I have to put my soup in and she goes, cup soup what she does every morning and every time I go cup of soup trying to teach her and before I even said it she goes cup of soup and I was like oh my god that's the first time you've put more than one word together or two words together you know she'll go no bunny or whatever but uh she said cup of soup I was like oh that's really exciting and you know she's just pretty great right now she got sick like we all got sick she got sick then I got sick and Janet got sick we both Janet and I got really sick and then on like this <laughs> like my ninth day of being sick Emma wouldn't let me kiss her the whole time except for on the cheek and on the ninth day we both forgot that I kissed her on the lips and she got sick the very next day <laughs> Oh my God, I felt so bad. But, uh, you know, Jane just got like some like drippy nose for a couple days and it was a little bad. But after that, she was fine. And, you know, she's just like the most pleasant she's ever been. She still cries occasionally. She had one of those like out of control tantrums where she couldn't control herself the other night. It's really sad. But like now she's like, she wants it to stop and she's not mad at you and she lets you hold her when she's crying. And it's like kind of even that's not as bad as it used to be. And she's not as petulant and she's not as like immediate gratification and she she knows please now and she's learning thank you so that really helps when she's like up oh, please and you're like oh I mean you know the downfall is now that she says please you have to do it when she says please because you're trying to teach her please whereas in the old days you'd be like no I don't want to pick you up right now but now you're just like oh, okay well I gotta pick you up because you said please but it's all it's all pretty pleasant the only downside is she's not sleeping as much she didn't fall asleep till 10 last night and she got up at 7.15 and that's like every day and it's a little painful I'm not gonna lie I was getting a little spoiled by those 8 to 8.30 mornings we were having but no more they're done they're done Anyway, let's turn to the media portion of this uh, lovely endeavor, because when you have the flu, you don't do much other than consume media. So I consumed a lot of media in the last two weeks. I did not, however, sell very many uh, CDs on Discogs. It's kind of weird. Last time I was looking at the notes from the last podcast, I sold about eight. This time I only sold one. And, you know, it was only one two weeks versus four, but still it's only one CD. It's kind of a bummer. But it was a really good CD, and I'm sad to see it go. It was uh, Spectrum. Uh, a Sonic Boom, a.k.a. Pete Kember's band after Spacemen 3. I really like their early albums. And this was an early single called True Love Will Find You in the End. It's a Daniel Johnston cover. I love it a lot. Uh, that album, which is called Spectrum, and the singles all have just very gorgeous cover art. It's like uh, the albums on vinyl are translucent, the sleeves are translucent, and they all have like different prismatic translucent colors on them, and they make kind of a kaleidoscope when you hold them up to the light. And they kind of mimic that with a CD version. It's like a clear plastic front tray and front card and back tray with different translucent uh, geometric patterns on it. And you hold it up to the light. The CD itself is opaque, but it still looks really nice. And I was really bummed to see it go. I do own the 7-inch so and the 12-inch, but I was a little sad. But, I, you know, I texted her. I put a message into the woman that bought it. And she lives in Wisconsin. And I was like, oh, I'm sad to see this go. It's a great record. And she's like, oh, man, I owned it like 10 years ago. And I don't have it anymore. And I was really bummed. I'm so psyched to find it. I was like, okay, all right, cool. At least it's going to a good home. I feel good about that. That's the whole point, right? I like these things to go to a good home. Uh, no live shows, but I was supposed to see The Hold Steady Wednesday before last. 
but I couldn't go to New York because I had the flu. Is it going to be the first night of their residency at Brooklyn Bowl? I've been once before, and I love seeing the whole study live. They're great. It's a whole good time, you know, male bonding, crowd drunk, feeling it, feeling the pain, emo thing. And uh, But I couldn't go, and I was sad, and I tweeted the band. I was like, I'm so bummed I can't be there. I'm supposed to be there, but I got the flu, and they tweeted me back. That was nice. They are like, well, well, we'll be with you in spirit. And I'm like, thank you, hold steady. I didn't say it, but I was like, please come back to Chapel Hill, because they haven't been here in ages. Not since I have been here, I don't think. Craig Finn has been here on his own, and I went to that. That was awesome. He played with Japan Droids, ruled. But uh, no, hold steady. They need to come to back to Chapel Hill. Come back to Chapel Hill. Anyway, vinyl. Uh, I did finally listen to that Queens of the Stone Age record, Songs of the Deaf. I have not listened to it in like I've owned it for like a month and a half. It was the album of the month from Vinyl Me Please, and it was really good. You know, I, uh, I like Rated R when it came out. I really liked that one song, Feel Good Hit of the Summer. My friend Chris Joy and I used to play that all the time on the radio station in Fairbanks, Alaska. We worked at KSUA, you know, because like nicotine, Valiant, Vicodin, marijuana, ecstasy, and alcohol over and over and again. I really like songs that just sort of say things in a litany and keep repeating them. Also like Booze, Tobacco, Dope, Pussy Cars by the Buttle Servers. It's great. Booze, Tobacco. Anyway, uh... But yeah, this is a good record. It was a good record. I was pleased. I was, it's solid. And then, uh, then this month's Vinyl Me Please was Aretha Franklin. I never loved a man the way I loved you. And I was like, ah, oh, whatever, Aretha Franklin. You know, she's fine. I put it on. I was like, oh, no, man. This is awesome. This is a great record. You know, you know the hits, but like the hits combined with the album cuts all in one, the way an album does. <laughs> oh, man. Great record. Just turn it on. Turn it up. It was a good time. Let's do it like three times in a row. And then volume two of the Trent Reznor, Atticus Ross, Watchmen soundtracks arrived, and it's awesome. I think I told you about the first one is dressed up to be like uh, Sons of Pale Horse, Book of Rorschach. This one is dressed up to be the soundtrack to American Hero Story from in the in-universe television show in the Watchmen. And it's totally great looking. Even the titles of the songs are like made to be titles from songs from American Hero Story. It's pretty awesome. It's really done. I don't know what they're going to do for the third one, but so far, so good. They've been doing a great job with those soundtrack vinyls uh and then i bought this a while ago and i may have listened to it but i couldn't remember i mean i've listened to the album hundreds of times in my life but i bought the vinyl recently and i was like did i listen to this since i bought it because i just wanted to own it on vinyl and i wasn't sure i listened to it but it was a space age bachelor pad by stereo lab which is my favorite stereo lab record it's kind of an ep but anyway i listened to that again on vinyl it's awesome it's a great record reissued clear vinyl recommend uh yeah Let's see. Other stuff I listen to. There's a new Greg Dooley single, and it is awesome. I listened to that like 10 times, and I strongly recommend it. There's going to be an album out next year. I pre-ordered it. Very exciting. Uh, and then in finding that on Spotify, there's also, I noticed there's a live at Triple Door album, Greg Dooley solo on Spotify that I had never listened to, and it's really good. I strongly recommend it if you are a Twilight Singer slash Afghan Wigs fan. There's a lot of uh, chatter because Greg Dewey is calling this his first solo album and some of the fans are like, what about Amber Headlights, man? And he's like, Amber Headlights wasn't really an album. It was like stuff we had recorded before and then one of the members of the Twilight Singers died and I didn't want to put it out as a Twilight Singer, so I put it out as this Amber Headlights. It's a project. This is my first real solo album. And I was like, all right, you know what? That's fair. I will, if you're calling it your first real solo album, I'm okay with that, Greg Dewey. I hope he tours for it. That would be awesome. We did see Twilight Singers down here since the... Was it the wigs? No, it was the wigs. Oh, God, it was so good. <laughs> Man, I love that guy. <laughs> this awesome music. Uh, and then, so this is weird. Some dude, uh, like tech guy I follow on Twitter one day, who I usually just, he just says tech stuff, was like, I've been listening to this album nonstop for the last week. It is the greatest thing ever. There's a reissue of Pulse Demon by Murs Bow. has been completely remastered. It's on their band camp, and it's amazing. And I was like, ooh, really? And I went up there, I was like, oh, yeah, look at that. And so I bought it, <laughs> seven bucks, for this Mersbau noise album called Pulse Demon that I had listened to back in the day, but he was right. The remaster is really good. It's done by another noise guy, not Daniel Menche, but somebody like that. And it's just like, you know, noise people mixing noise. It's a whole thing. They know what they're doing better and it really works. And he was not kidding, man. If you are into noise rock, the new remaster of Pulse Demon by Mersbau is <laughs> If you're not, you should listen to it anyway, just to make me laugh. Uh, and there's a new Tinder Sticks album called No Treasure But Hope. It is great, a little bit more upbeat and uh, happy, dare I say, than the last couple Tinder Sticks albums. It's got some it's got some standout tracks. They are coming to America next year. I'm going to the show in New York 
with my friend Jess, who lives in L.A. She's flying out for it. Uh, I'm a little worried they're going to do an L.A. show, and then she won't fly out for it. But whatever. I'll find somebody to go. But it's always more fun to go with fans, right? Like, uh, yeah. And I haven't seen the Tinder Sticks. Well, that's not true. I saw them once since, but... Some, I mean, on their second album, they played the Middle East downstairs in, in, in the early 90s, and it was like one of the greatest shows I've ever seen in my life. The Tinder Sticks are just awesome live. So that was really good. I've been listening to that a lot. Uh, there's a new Mark Kozlik album with Petra Hayden. Petra Hayden had a band. It was called That Dog. They were pretty great. She's also one of the singers on Blackberry Bell, and I went to the Twilight Singers Blackberry Bell playing Blackberry Bell live show in San Francisco at the Great American Music Hall several years ago, and she was there along with Apollonia. It was awesome. Anyway, they did an album together, Mark Kozlik and Petra Hayden. So, you know, a little tie-in with a Greg Dooley thing there. And it's called Joey Always Smiled. And if you know anything about the most recent Mark Kozlik albums, you know exactly what this one sounds like. And it's more of the same. If anything, he's gotten even more egotistical and weird. He, like, literally sings in one song, sings, that uh, he thinks people are going to be studying his music in classes in the future. But this one does redeem itself for the existence of a very good cover of Huey Lewis and the News' Power of Love, which I strongly recommend. You could probably skip the whole album. I listened to all these new Mark Kozik albums once. Because every once in a while I'm hoping there's another one like Benji and it's got something like dogs on it. But no, not this one. But yeah, you know, I like I support him, whatever. If he wants to make oversharing weird egotistical music with a, with a Spanish guitar instead of with hip hop beats, what's the difference, right? It's just hip hop. That's I've just decided Mark Kozik is basically hip hop and then you just do that vein and you're like, okay, this is cool. Uh, speaking of hip-hop, I listened to the LP album Sleep When You're Dead because it's finally available on Spotify. Heads, uh, my friend Doug Pfeffer gave me a heads up about that, and I like LP because of my, my prism for hip-hop is not the words so much as the production, and I've always admired LP's production, and this one was really awesome sounding as well, so I'll Sleep When You're Dead by LP. There's a new Rachel Grimes album. Rachel Grimes is a classical violinist cellist violinist uh, i'm not sure what she actually plays she's sort of a composer arranger of classical quartets and symphonies she had a quote-unquote pop band back in the 90s called rachel's and it had jason noble in it from shipping news and me and my friends were all obsessed with them and we saw them a bunch uh, jason noble has since died sadly and uh but we really loved rachel's live and we loved it was kind of a mix of the you know kentucky indie rock slow core slint sound and classical music and um they had really amazing hand like handmade album covers with letter pressing and they put their blood in their ink on one of them and my old band found the whole thing very 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 inspiring and uh anyway she's got a new album it's just it's like symphonic it's basically string quartet but it's got samples it's sort of like an americana history of sort of oppression and it's it's a, I would say it's a political album, honestly. Uh, so you know, props to her, Rachel Grimes. I really like it. Um, it's tough because I, I did star one or two tracks for my 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 starred lists, but um, because of the spoken word samples, it doesn't really. It's not. I can't really put it on my writing playlist. But I feel like I need to listen to it more. So got a bit of a dilemma about the new Rachel Grimes album, The Way Forth, but I do recommend it. Listen to the new Beck album, Hyperspace. It's all good, but I mean, just nothing clicks for me. Uh, I don't know. I gave it two listens, and then I was listening to it in the car with Emma, and we were driving to dinner the other day, and I was like, it's very well made, and I could never do this, and his vocals are awesome, and like, it's just immaculately constructed, but all the songs are kind of the same tempo. It's just all very mellow and samey, and I don't mean mellow, because I really love Sea Change. I mean, that's, you know, mellow. This is like mid-tempo. I don't know. It's kind of okay. It's good. Don't get me wrong, but hard to find a hit on it. Uh, and then I've been obsessed with this guy, Thor. You guys know Thor? He's awesome. He's this drummer. He plays big drums. He's in the Swans. He was a Dead Can Dance. He's like kind of a hyperactive, long-haired, crazy drummer dude. He's awesome. I've seen him in a bunch of different bands through the years. But I didn't realize Thor makes his own music, and so I've been following him on Twitter because he's just the coolest dude. He lives in Texas. Uh, and so he's got um, a couple of his projects are like putting some music out. There's one that's Thor and Friends. That's kind of his like band. People come to his house from what i gather people come to his house and they make music so this one is julie holland thor and friends and they made a, a cut called louisiana 1927 that i quite like and then there's this other band it's called Reckmeister harmonies that he i guess he's playing with them on this song it's a little unclear that's another one of his bands i don't know i just kind of read these things on twitter and he sends links out about them and uh, it's called coyotes of central park and i like that one okay that one's good but the julie holland thor and friends one is great so i'm really looking forward to this thor and friends album but yeah, if you've ever seen the Swans, <laughs> Thor rules. 
Uh, okay, so then my friend Annie, who was in Rockets vs. the Streetlands with me, and we started our first company design firm together back in the 90s. Uh, we put the Cindy Talk tour on to America together in the 90s. Uh, we, we were like best friends for like most of the 90s, and she's awesome. And I saw her when I was up in Boston on that visit, and we were talking about post-rock because she like I was looking on her Instagram, and she had gone to this crazy post-rock festival in the middle, like in the Midwest somewhere, like I don't know Iowa or it's Indiana, Indiana maybe. And she was posting all these post-rock bands, and I'd never heard of any of them. <laughs> and I was talking to her about it when we were hanging out a couple weeks ago in Boston. I was like, "Man, there's so many post-rock bands, and I just don't even know where to start." And I feel like I'm pretty up on post-rock, you know. And like, there's just say I didn't, I hadn't heard of a single one of those bands you saw. And so she made me this post-rock like playlist on Spotify, and it is amazing and epic, and it's so hardcore. And I like, I you know, of the whole thing, I'd only ever heard of three of the bands on it, and they're probably. Like like 30 bands you know what I mean so there was a Boston local band that's pretty big now called Caspian that we used to I think we played with a couple times but we definitely would go see and they're sort of in the scene the same time as Rockets and they're on there and then Russian Circles and This Will Destroy You is on there but like all the other bands I had never even heard of and so I've been working through this playlist for like three weeks now and it's awesome I couldn't tell you I'm starring tracks as I go but I couldn't tell you which one of these is uh, which really yet, you know. <laughs> but I'll just tell you all the play. All the, oh, the other great thing is she actually designed and made a uh, like a cassette, like a mixtape cassette liner notes for the thing that talked about each band. And when I was making the list for this podcast, I was like, well, I could open up her liner notes and I could read them to you, but I'm not going to do that. Uh, but I will just read off to you all the bands that, because if nothing else, it sounds it's going to sound like sort of a nice litany of poems of post-rock words and titles and names so here we go glacier no light ever then there's grin with an album called egan grau then, uh, circus trees with an album called sakura play for sound with an album called waves and then two albums by caspian dust and disquiet which i'd heard before is a great record and the four trees which i don't think i'd heard before harbor lights uh, she starts with local boston new england uh post-rock band so harbor lights i believe is a boston or new england local post-rock band which is a brilliant name because harbor lights is the original name of that i think it's called the bank boston pavilion bank of america pavilion the waterfront concert venue in boston where i've seen a lot of great stuff through the years like roxy music and the verve and radiohead and anyway there's a band a post-rock band called harbor lights and the their album is called under the spreading chestnut tree Holy Fawn doing Death Spells, and then two bands, Resin, R-E-Z-N, and Loom, L-U-M-E. And theirs is live at Electrical Audio, and I do remember that one because it was live, and it's at Electrical Audio, which is uh, Steve Albini's studio. And then another album by Loom called Rung Out. And those two were the first, so we're like seven albums in. Those are the first two that had any vocals on them, which was kind of amazing. Uh, then a band called Grivo, G-R-I-V-O, with an album called Etude, a band called Au Revoir, with an album called Veles, V-E-L-E-S, an album called The End of the Ocean, that's a great name, and their album is called Pacific Atlantic, with a, uh, a bullet in between them, album called Pillars in all caps, with an uh, album, or a band called Pillars in all caps, with an album called Cavum, C-U-V-E-M, Band called Ranges with an album called The Ascensionist. That's good. Uh, band called Old Solar with an album called C S E E all caps. Band called Coastlands with an album called The Further Still. Then the This Will Destroy Your album, which is called S slash T. It's not a self-titled album. It's called S slash T, which I like. Uh, Russian Circles doing Guidance. The Red Sparrows. There's an E before the S in Sparrows. And their album is called The Fear is Excruciating, but therein lies the answer. That is a great album title. I really approve of that one. Then a band called Collapse Under the Empire with an album called Find a Place to Be Safe. A band called Final Days Society called Ours is Not a Caravan of Despair. I mean, come on, that's such a good name. A uh, band called F-E-F and their album is called Morning Golden Morning. First morning is M-O-U-R and the second one is M-O-R-N. Then another one by EFF called We Believe Volume 2. Not sure if there's a volume one or not. And then a band called PG Lost. That's lowercase PG period L-O-S-T, no space. And their album is called In Never Out, which is a great name. There's about five more on there I haven't listened to yet. I'm going to get through them this week, but... 
I believe she made the playlist public, so you can find it on Spotify. It is called Post Rock and Tangential Items Mix by Annie Smith. So I strongly recommend it if you're into, you know, Mogwai and Explosions in the Sky and want to hear like 20 more bands that sound similar. Man, that is a lot. Cool scene, Post Rock. She said one of these bands is like three sisters that are all like 15 and 16. And that they're awesome live and their dad just drives them around. I'm like, oh, I want to be that dad. That sounds amazing. But yeah, that was a great list. Whew. Okay. Whew. Pause, please. Okay, okay. Had to get a little sip of some fluids there. Let's move on to TV. Been watching the uh, impeachment hearings. They're pretty painful. It was interesting when there was testimony, but now that markup session was just, you know, just a bunch of Republicans saying crazy-ass shit, which is just insane. It's just depressing. The whole thing is depressing, and it's going to get more depressing when they acquit him, apparently now, without even barely even having a trial. That'll be a good time. That'll be a good time. We will move on and try not to talk about politics too much on this podcast. I just pour it onto my music, as you may have noticed. Uh, And then, you know, so... When Jane had her birthday, somebody gave her these little goth toys from then. They're like, this is from a show on Disney. It's called Vampirina. It's the only sort of gothy show on there. So I'm like, all right, let's watch this Vampirina show. And it's kind of cute. It's this cute little vampire, but it's not goth. And there's, <laughs> I guess, I don't know. I thought maybe it'd be like the Adams family where they really were morbid and goth. But nope, it's just a cute little vampire. She could be a cute little bunny and the plot would basically be the same. She moved to a new school. This time it just happened to be from Transylvania. I will not waste any more time complaining about Vampirina not being dark and goth enough. Uh, we're still watching The Good Place. Uh, I guess there's one left, right? That's going to be intense. Ooh, that's going to be intense. It was not into the season at the beginning, but it's really growing on me now. It's crazy. Uh, and so we are now plowing through Adventure Time. That's mainly our, that's our main thing right now. We're in the fifth season, which is 56 episodes long. It's a double season. And we're like, okay, we just got to finish this one day. We watch nine of them. I mean, they're only 11 minutes long, but <laughs> we just like trying to, we're, I think we're in like mid twenties of episode 22 or something like that of the 56 in season five now. And now we are into the area where Emma was watching it her first time around. And one or two of them, I vaguely remember she would watch it and I would kind of like occasionally watch one. I don't think I got really into it with her until like season seven but it's starting to seem like some things are familiar which is kind of interesting um and you know adventure time got picked up by hbo i don't know if you know this there's gonna be more adventure time so we figure like we need to watch it all before that happens adventure time is really amazing i mean the characters as individual characters as people are kind of annoying almost to a t almost all of them like jake's annoying finn's annoying princess bubblegum super annoying ice king's annoying bimo's pretty cool uh, Marceline's all right. You know, then there's the evil ones like Magic Man and the Lich. The, oh, God, Lemon Grab's intolerable. But, I mean, you know, putting that aside, uh, the the stories, just the imagination, the creativity is just insane. It's amazing. And it's got, like, a coherent mythology to it. <laughs> I mean, it's more coherent than some very popular franchise's mythology, you know? Uh, anyway, then, uh, watched SNL. couldn't tell you anything about it. Oh, it's Jennifer Lopez. That's right. It was fine. Eh, and that guy, the baby, he was actually okay. And he had those weird, uh, Jabberwocky dancers on there that I, yeah, those, those guys freaked me out. They're in master none and they wouldn't eat cupcakes cause they wouldn't take their masks off. That was pretty funny. Anyway, uh, and then Watchmen is just fantastic. The last two episodes were fantastic. That show is amazing. There's one more. It's coming out tomorrow. I'm very excited. What a great show. Uh, it's just so rewarding. There's so much good sci-fi and stuff gone right now. I, I, I have not been this happy about my television watching in quite some time because in addition to Watchmen, there's been The Mandalorian, which is awesome. My friend Sean did not like episode five, but I really liked it. I enjoyed it. I like going back to Tatooine. I like the weird fan service shit, like the speeders and, and the Dune Sea and going to Mos Eisley and going back to the cantina. Come on. That was amazing. Sand people, do do backs. I mean, come on, it was so cool. <laughs> and then this week's uh, a little bit of hints of what's going on with the New Republic. That was kind of cool. Uh, it was pretty interesting. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. And of course, Baby Yoda. You can't go wrong with Baby Yoda, right? Uh, anyway, I really like it. The Mandalorian's solid for me. It's a hit. And then The Expanse is out. It, season four. We watched the first episode last night. 
had to play some catch up. There's this hilarious, like 15 minute, uh, narrated by Kevin Smith sort of catch you up and remind you what happened in the first three seasons of the expanse thing on Amazon, which was actually very helpful because I had forgotten a lot. And, uh, I mean, I remember the very ending of season three, you know, the big reveal, but like, I didn't remember any of the details or what happened with any other whole like subplots and characters. I didn't even remember, but that little Kevin Smith thing actually did a really good job catching me up to speed. And then we watched the first episode and it's the expanse, man. It's back. It's good. It's crazy. Woo. What a crazy show. What a crazy show. That's it. Not watching tons of TV. I mean, it sounds like I am, but and there was only one good place that aired in the last two weeks, and we only watched like one episode of Vampirina. I only watched one SNL, and you know, two Mandalorians, two Watchmen, one Expanse in two weeks. That's not much TV. Oh, and a ton of Adventure Time, but yeah, doesn't count. Doesn't count. Only watch two movies, uh, one movie a week. I'm about to start my big annual movie marathon where I go to a movie every day of my vacation. There's a lot coming out that I want to see. I'll probably go see Ford vs. Ferrari tomorrow because I think it's going to leave the theater and then Dark Waters. And then I'm hoping after that, like a bunch of the other stuff I want to see gets to town because a lot of it hasn't been here yet. I'm still waiting for a lot of stuff to show up in town. It will. Last year, some of them didn't show up until January. Like Cold War, I didn't see till like second week of January. But, uh, you know, they're coming. I'll probably go see Queen and Baby, too. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. Uh, my early January podcast will be rife with a lot of movies. I guess I did this last year, too, so maybe you know that by now. Anyway, uh, I did see Knives Out, which was lovely. I quite enjoyed it. It was very, very full showing, which is good. Yay for Ryan Johnson. Uh, <laughs> I was talking to my friend Mike Gill, who lives out in L.A., and he went to the Knives Out premiere, and he was like... <laughs> Ryan Johnson was like, I showed the script to a bunch of my friends to make sure that there weren't any plot holes. And Mike was like, I just wanted to get up and ask him why he didn't do that with The Last Jedi. <laughs> burn. Ryan Johnson burned. But, uh, you know, it's not his fault, really. I mean, script. A lot of people involved in a Disney production. But uh, speaking of which, I guess I am a little nervous about the rise of Skywalker. I don't have any hope that they can do it. I, I don't think, I think I'm going to, I'm trying to, I'm going with very low expectations. I think it's actually impossible to wrap it up nicely given all the problems. Uh, the problems that they set for themselves to make the First Order terrifying and then kill off its leader. The problems they, they you know, inherited when Carrie Fisher died. That's obviously a huge hurdle. And then they had decided to kill off Luke and then Carrie Fisher died and it's the rise of Skywalker. But there's no more Skywalkers. Uh, making Ray not anybody's parent, which was the right, or kid, which was the right decision because, I mean, I'm just sick of the whole family saga thing. But, you know, that they, they wrote themselves into a corner with that. And then deciding to bring Palpatine back or maybe or whatever uh, is just, I think, idiotic. I, I'm, I'm so unexcited and unenthused about it. I can't even explain to you how annoying that is to me. And so I just don't see how they're going to make it good. I think it's not going to be a good movie. And I like the last two just fine. I'm into the whole theory. There are plot holes, but I'm into generally the extension of the universe, but I am getting a little exhausted by it, you know? Uh, I guess we'll talk more about this when we get to books. Yeah, we'll pause for a little bit. We'll, we'll carry this on in, in the book section since uh, I picked this up in the books. Uh, and then I did watch The Irishman as well, which was good. Uh, I really enjoyed Al Pacino's uh, Jimmy Hoffa. I thought he was amazing. Um... I never cared much for gangster films. Obviously, The Godfather is very good, and some of the other ones are fine, but... You know, that was good. I couldn't bring myself to care very much through most of the film. I did like the family stuff-ish. Uh, and then I took a break because, uh, like, I don't know, I watched the first two and a half hours of it. And I took a break because I came downstairs or the baby woke up or something. This is like last weekend. And then I was like, I, you know, that movie was fine, but there's another hour. I can't even imagine. Like, it could end it now. And it'd be, you know, I guess it'd be okay, but I can't imagine going on another hour. But it turns out I was totally wrong because, in fact, the last hour is the best part of the movie. And I almost would have loved this movie if they just cut out most of the flashbacks and they just dealt with the end like old sad gangsters you're either dead or in jail or like nobody likes you and you're you're decaying in a in an old person so that was awesome like rumination on aging and dying that was the last hour i really loved but as a whole i don't think it really worked i don't think there was any need for the frame story at all <laughs> i could i could have got that i could edit that movie down 
Yeah, it was fine. I don't know. I'm not actually. Uh, yeah, I, I, yeah, yeah. I mean, Scorsese and me. Like, my favorite film of him is Age of Innocence. So I don't really think of him the same way other people do. But uh, yeah, it was good. Whatever. We'll see. Turn into books. I finished the 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 New Deal of Global History by Karen Klaus Patel. Which was pretty interesting. So when I was reading These Truths by Jill Lepore, she said this was a magisterial review of the New Deal from an international perspective. And I was like, whoa, well, sign me up. I'm obsessed with the New Deal and this international perspective. And it sounds great. And it was, but it was in a very interesting way. Because some parts of the New Deal are very influenced by other countries, right? Like Social Security from Germany and Uruguay, interestingly. And, you know, the collectivist stuff coming from, like, the socialist, uh, you know, uh, you know, like Finland and things like that, collectives and farming. And and, and then some parts of it, you know, like uh, the Garden City movement from England, there's, like, whole administrations sort of influenced by that. They were making these collective... I didn't even know about this. That was pretty crazy. And then other parts aren't really influenced at all. But like, you know, he'd talk about like in some parts he'd be like, well, yeah, so they're very influenced by this. And let me tell you how. And then he would list like every New Deal administrator and every international conference they went to about some obscure topic like rural electrification, which is kind of amazing, actually. You know uh, my friend Tim Wang is probably the only person that would appreciate this, but like just seeing this like sort of long litany list of international conferences and attendees from the FDR administration, like Harry Hopkins attended this rural electrification con- conference in Switzerland in 1929. And you're like, that's awesome. <laughs> they had rural electrification conferences. I want to go to one of those. Uh, and then there's some stuff that you like read about and heard about in school, but probably don't remember, but like they try to tell you in high school, at least if you're in your forties, there was an important thing like the good neighbor policy when FDR decided to not be a total dick to Latin America. And I had heard of it, learned about that as a kid, but like didn't really hear about it much. I think it was AP US history. And, uh, that was actually really interesting to read like a lot of detail about the good neighbor policy and. You know, I've read a ton about Argentinian debt, of course, because you read any history of Goldman or international finance, and all, all roads pass through Argentina, Argentina, and there are many defaults on their debt. It's actually happening right now again. Uh, so, you know, some of it you're like, oh, I know all about this. And the other parts you're like, wow, I don't know anything about this. Touched on the banana wars. That was pretty interesting. And United Fruit Company, I knew about that stuff. Brazil, a lot of like uh, America buying metals and negotiating exclusivity contracts on zinc with Brazil so that the Russians couldn't get their zinc from Brazil. A lot of that going on, which is pretty interesting. Uh, the Russians, the Germans, excuse me, before the war. This book pretty much doesn't deal with the war at all. It just ends at the war. It talks a lot about, um, you know, 20s, 30s, New Deal. But it does actually make a pretty convincing case about the GI Bill being extension of the New Deal after the war, which makes perfect sense. I should have seen that. And then it did have one sort of insight that to me was kind of a revelation. And it was talking about how, like, in the 20s and 30s, you know, FDR was trying to save capitalism because we all kind of thought capitalism might be done for, not unlike now. And they, everybody, you know, intellectuals, intelligentsia, even the bankers, even even the government, they're all kind of flirting with different parts of fascism and socialism because it was sort of like those countries maybe were doing better than America in the recession. It was a global recession. And, uh, but you know, some countries would do better for a little bit of time and be like, maybe this is just democracy. It just isn't working. Right. And they would kind of like different people in different, like on the different parts of the political spectrum here would be attracted to different political systems. People on the right tend to be more interested in fascism. People on the left tend to be more interested in communism. And here's the part I knew all that. Here's the part that it was kind of like a revelation for me. So once the war started and all these atrocities that the Germans had done and they just became our enemies, it was no longer fashionable to flirt with the fascistic side of things. And then as the, the uh you know the war ended and communism was rising and we started like learning about some of their atrocities it was no longer fashionable or reputable to flirt with those so this had a profound impact on the new deal because the new deal would experiment with collectivist systems or or the federal government having like more control things like the tanana or the tanana (laughs) 
the Tenon is a river near where I grew up in Alaska, the Tennessee Valley Authority. They wanted to do that in other places like the Columbia River. They wanted to do the Tennessee Valley Authority in other places, but those were like really frowned upon. And so this, this is the part I didn't know, is that this is why the New Deal and FDR's later administration going into Truman started to focus more on consumer protection, right? So I always sort of saw this as an extension of Stuart Chase and the Consumers Union and things like that, and uh, the problems with patent medication. And in my book in advertising, this is how I talk about it a lot. It's like there's all these, you know, problems with false advertising and patents and people wanting consumer protection. But Karen Klaus Patel makes a very compelling argument that it was like the new dealers trying to find a way they could continue pushing forth on the new deal and spending government spending and protection and improving things and saving democracy and capitalism, but without having a tinge of socialism or fascism government control, because that was no longer acceptable after the war. And so they focused, and this is where we start having the FCC and the FDA and the FTC and trade, you know, like uh, false advertising laws and consumer protection laws and the food and drug administration. And it was because the new deal looking for an outlet that was allowed. And so that was sort of started supporting the rise of the consumer into the Eisenhower administration. And then I read this really great book called the consumers Republic back then. that I'll talk all about like sort of America's transition from citizens to consumers. And like her thesis in that book was that it was all a bad thing. But in Patel's book here, it's more like, it's like, this is our safe outlet to protect citizens and expand government power without having a whiff of fascism or communism or socialism. And so that's how the government contributed to the rise of the consumer. I found that very interesting and it made the book worth reading for me. So I hope you find it interesting as well. I got to take a little break. Be right back. All right. I guess I didn't need to tell you I was taking a break, but I took a break. Anyway, it's a great book. I don't know if I'd recommend it unless all everything I just said seemed really interesting to you. But for the certain kind of person interested in that stuff, it's an A-plus read. Anyway, then I reread Lost Stars by Claudia Gray. Lost Stars is a young adult Star Wars novel that takes place after Return of the Jedi. It actually starts before the Battle of Yavin. It's a great book. I read it. It was uh, one of the first books of new canon to come out. It came out before The Force Awakens comes out. It is one of those journey to Star Wars Force Awakens books. So after rewatching most of the Star Wars films, I was like, I have some questions. And I think I mentioned this in last podcast. I read Resistance Reborn and I was really annoyed with it because it was like what takes place after The Last Jedi before Rise of Skywalker. And it was a pretty interesting yarn. But in the end, the cast and crew ended up pretty much exactly where they were not physically, but emotionally and, you know, situationally after The Last Jedi. And in fact, the whole book actually had no impact on the timeline at all. And that kind of irks me. But they did sort of call back one character. And that character was very prominent in Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi. And I was like, so did he do anything after Return of the Jedi? I can't really remember. So I was like, oh, I can find out by reading Lost Stars by Claudia Grape. So I reread it. It's actually a very good book. It's cute. It's a romance almost. And it's like... uh you know, tells you a lot about the Battle of Jakku. <laughs> and uh, it was a good read, although the character in question, I guess we can talk about this in detail after Rise of Skywalker comes out. But uh, he only makes a brief appearance in this book. And I realize he might actually be an aftermath by Chuck Wendig as well. So I'm going to have to reread that as well. I'm, I'm very curious about him. But uh, it was a nice reread. It's quick. It's uh, pleasant. It's a good book. Uh, love, man. And, you know, it's actually a well-written, decent love story. So, props to Claudia Gray. Uh, and then I have started Complexity, A Guided Tour by Melanie Mitchell. This is one of my, my friend Noah Breyer. It's one of his favorite books. And it is by a woman. And he mentioned it to me several times this year. Kept encouraging me to read it. And I kept forgetting. And so, finally started it. And it's awesome. It's about complex systems, complexity science, things like that. It started, it's a primer, basically. So, it just starts with the beginning, you know, with Newton and gravity and Galileo. And then it goes through like thermodynamic laws and then it goes into entropy. And that's as far as I am so far. So we can talk about that book probably next time I'll be done by then, but, uh, I'm enjoying it. It's a, it's a nice nerdy, uh, wonk out, wonk out. Yeah. So that's it for books. Uh, work works good. Uh, we're working on CCPA stuff. It's intense. They, they are still writing regulations for laws that go in effect in two weeks, which is just lovely. And the IAB is still working on standards for laws that go in effect in two weeks, which is just lovely. And they don't enforce the laws till June, but they can't tell us if they're going to enforce the laws for mistakes made on January 2nd or not. So you just got to be ready on the first, even though they don't have the laws written yet, which is awesome. 
But I think we got most of it worked out. We'll have it pretty fully implemented on the first. And uh, I'm feeling pretty good about it. You know, we have two implementations. We have one for TimeHop, the app that you know and love, the Nostalgia app, and Nimbus, our ad server. They both have to work for, with CCPA, which is the California Consumer Privacy Law, by the way. And they both have to work differently with it. They have to work together, but with other companies on both parts. And so it's a whole thing. It's all very complicated, but I think we're in pretty good shape. And so that's really been taking up most of our time in December. Uh, besides the holiday party, which we had on Tuesday when I was up in New York, it was lovely. It was at this rooftop bar in Lower East Side on Delancey and Bowery. That new hotel there, I can't remember what it's called, Cloud M, Cloud Hotel, something like that. Lovely bar, lovely venue. And it was a good group of people. I mean, you know, it was a lot of people, a lot of uh, people from media publishers, right? Our clients, our respective clients. And then there's a lot of people from the demand side, all our demand partners, uh, which are ad networks. And then uh, Matt, my, 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 my co not founder, co-guide, the CEO of this company, the guy I run it with. He uh, did the whole party planning, picked the place and everything, did it all himself. And he also, Matt and I, he's a barbarian, so we have a lot of barbarian friends. To, and, you know, you can't invite all 150 ex-barbarians, 200 ex-barbarians. So he just picked, you know, some good ones and uh, invited them. And that was lovely. He saw a bunch of old barbarians there. It was great. Uh, I only invited two people myself, and it was just this awesome party, and a lot of people I hadn't seen in a long time. It was all very pleasant. And then we went to Whiskey Ward afterwards, which was quite nice. I missed that place, and, you know, I had, um, that bartender has been there for a long time, and it was good, and I had some Four Roses, and everything was lovely, and yeah, that's about it. But other than CCPA, you know, that's really our focus for the rest of the year. Yeah. That's work. Uh, the only other tech thing that I want to tell you about is that there's a new Kickstarter by Hal Hartley. This could be in the film section. He's got a new movie coming out about three weeks ago. My shipment, I've, I've done, I've been a backer on all his Kickstarters. I love Hal Hartley. He's one of my favorite film directors. And he did a Blu-ray editions of his first few films, Surviving Desire, Simple Men. And the final shipment and fulfillment of that came in a couple of weeks ago. And I was like, this is great to get these. And I love all this, but I'm ready for a new Hal Hartley film. He's done two new ones that I was a, a associate producer backer on, uh, Meanwhile and Ned Rifle. But now he's got a new one. It's called Where to Land. And the Kickstarter is going now. It goes to January 4th. I'm definitely going to back it. I'm just trying to figure out how much I can spare. I got a few bills I need to pay. But uh, if you are a Hal Hartley fan, I strongly recommend backing his new Kickstarter. It looks pretty great. It's got a lot of the old cast in it. Alina Lowenson's in it. Parker Posey's in it. So I think Martin Donovan's in it. So, you know, some of the old favorites. And uh, the other funny thing is I finally sold the last of my WeWork shares. They did a secondary offering after this... Uh, garbage bailout by SoftBank and the valuation was one-tenth what it used to be actually one-seventeenth and I was like I don't care sell anyway just sell them uh it doesn't go through till April but that is the I'm probably not supposed to be telling you any of this actually I don't care I don't care I take them all the shares away they're not worth anything whatever I knew this was going to happen back in January they tried to do it they did a secondary sale and I tried to sell my shares I was like I don't want to be in this company I never want to be in this company but they only let me sell 10% of them so I've been stuck with these shares in this company I don't like and I was like, great, get rid of them. So I think I'll finally be out of this company, which is very exciting for me. I did not buy these shares. A company I invested in got bought by them. So I've had WeWork shares for several years that I have not wanted. And I've been trying to get rid of them. And finally, I'm out, even though it's just pennies on the dollar. But I don't care because it'll be a great tax write-off. Projects. Uh, my album launched. You guys heard two songs on it last week. I would play, play. I was thinking about putting more songs on the end of this, but at this point, I'm like, whatever, man. You can go listen to it if you want. Defective Frequency is the name of the band. The album's called The Public's Business, and uh, you know, I wouldn't say it's doing well, but my friends seem to—they're nice about it. That's all you can really hope. I wasn't really expecting it, you know. I don't know. 25 years ago, I was seeing Spiritualized at the Paradise in Boston, and I was like, this is his—this is the best I could ever do in a band. Like, I don't make popular music, and I'm never going to make popular music. And you could get big enough that you could play the Paradise and sell out the Paradise and maybe tour, but, you know, like, you're not going to play arenas making the music I make. And then, you know, ironically, Spiritualized has occasionally played some bigger shows since then, but they're the exception that proves the rule, really, you know what I mean? Like, I was like, I don't want to make music that's popular, I want to make the music that I want to make. And if I'm going to do that, it's not going to make any money. 
so I should do something else for a living. <laughs> this epiphany, I remember, it was like 1997. And so that's kind of, even now, I'm like, I don't care. Like, I finished the album I wanted to make, and it's out in the world. So I'm very, very happy about that. And I am working on the second one now. But the other exciting news, two other things. One is this Japanese married couple have wrote to me and they're like, we want to translate economics of Star Trek into Japanese. We're Japanese economics professors. And I'm like, okay, that sounds cool. I got no problem with that. Well, you can do it. I'll put it in the store. We'll split the revenue. But I don't really know how to check your work. (laughs) So I put a call out on the internet and Yuri, an old barbarian, she's like, my dad will do this for you. He'll double check their work. And so they sent me a sample and I sent it to Yuri's dad and Yuri's dad is like, okay, first off these two, like that man is like one of the most renowned economists in Japan. <laughs> and my father had his like thesis advisor or some, there's some relation or something. I don't know. Somehow Yuri's dad, I think he's, must be an economist too. I don't know but he like was familiar with this man and his, I think his father and this man had the same thesis advisor or something. And, uh, anyway, he's like, this guy knows what his deal is. He's legit. And I'm like, Oh, cool. <laughs> so I guess, one of the and then he's like and his wife is also an economist at the same school and they want to translate it and use it in their classes and i'm like all right this is awesome so your dad is going to check it out for me and then i'm going to put out a japanese translation of the economics of trek with these two renowned japanese economists so that's pretty cool that's the kind of thing you love having out of one of your projects i feel really good about that And then the last thing is that I, when I left New York this week, I finally went into the new Delta portion, the new Delta portion of LaGuardia. So I finally saw some of the new Delta LaGuardia. It's lovely, has a great view of Flushing Bay. It has good food, overpriced. It's it's great. Uh, I'm really into it. And I was sitting there and I was taking notes. I was tweeting about it actually. And I was like, you know what? My album's done, and I think it's time to just finish that LaGuardia book. There isn't much more to do on it. So I'm thinking, don't quote me yet, but I'm pretty close to deciding that's going to be the next project to work on again is to finish up that LaGuardia book. So maybe I'll tell you for sure by next podcast. We'll find out. it for this week hope you guys enjoyed it a little longer i guess uh because of annie's post-rock extravaganza and my rant about karen klaus patel's global new deal book but uh you know it's good to talk to you guys after a week of flu i i i needed some uh some time some conversation time so thank you for that thank you for listening drop a line if you guys are curious about anything and i'll see you guys in a couple weeks take care